0: Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on June 4th, 2023. Heavenly minded and no earthly good? Let's turn our attention this morning to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We've been moving through the book of Colossians. And for the first two chapters, um, Apostle Paul has some powerful things to speaking uh, truth against the false charges of the teachers that were trying to infiltrate the church there at Colossae. He talks about who we really are in Christ, what Christ has really done, and how He has been victorious over our sin. He stands in a chief position, not some secondary figure in the hierarchy of the gods, but rather the supreme one uh, who is over all, regardless of what others might have to say. And when we come to chapter 3, Apostle Paul turns a corner now. He moves from this is sort of doctrinal section to the last two chapters, which he turns his focus from that to how do we practically live out those truths in our daily lives. And so chapters three and four <clears throat> focus on this turn to practical things. And when I read the first four verses for our passage for today, you're going to go, that wasn't too practical. <laughs> but he has some, some, he's laying the foundation for practical application. We want to look at it. Have you ever heard the statement, he's so heavily minded he's no earthly good? you ever heard that? Who had never heard that before? I just said it just a moment ago. Come on now. <laughs> I know, that's terrible. That's terrible. But the idea is that a person is always thinking about God and just floating through the world doesn't seem to have any touch with reality. Um, And you'll see the point of that as I read these verses. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And here's this picture, then, that Apostle Paul paints for us and is foundational for practical living. But it doesn't sound like it because it says, turn your attention to heaven, set your affections there, uh, seek after those things. And you go, how does that work out in my life? How do I then take the truths that that Apostle Paul has been giving to us in the first couple chapters, and then now turn our attention to heaven, how does that help me face life this week? How does it help? So what I'd like to do is, for the next few moments before we come to the Lord's table, is to explore what kind of setting Paul is giving to us so that we can understand how to practically apply those verses that follow. If you look in verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Now, if you've been following along in our study in Colossians, you will know that this is a reference to a previous passage and that is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. If you turn back there for a moment, and he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, within which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And he brings up the picture then of two elements, one of, first of all, circumcision, the previous verse, and now baptism. And as we look through that passage, we are reminded of the Romans six passage, where it says, we are identified with Christ. And as he died and was buried, and that proved that he was dead, and then he rose again victorious over death, Romans 6 says, by faith, we enter into that relationship. So as Christ died, we die to our old fleshly nature and its authority in our life. And we are raised in newness of life so that rather than having the flesh have the final authority, we now have a new life which answers to the Lord. And so he begins chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, If you've been raised with Christ, can I offer up a different way of saying that? Because the if statement that is made here assumes that you have. In other words, it assumes what was written in verse 12 of chapter 2. It says, we could easily translate this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. In other words, these are accomplished facts. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is settled. He is the provider of that salvation. And by faith, you have entered in. You are dead to your old way of life. You have a new life in Christ. You have hope of heaven. All those things are true. And he says, Since this is true, since you've been raised with Christ, he begins by saying, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And the question that arises when we get to practical ramifications is Christ, when he offered up himself, And we have plenty of references that we could go to, including in Philippians, where he humbled himself, became obedient, became a servant, went to the cross. And then all the way through the Gospels, Jesus says, I'm going to do those things that the Father tells me to do. I'm going to say the things that the Father wants me to say. And we see that Jesus Christ placed himself in the hands of the Heavenly Father. It says, and the question that is implied in this passage is, if Jesus Christ was willing to place his life in the hands of the Heavenly Father, what about you? What about me? Are we willing to place our lives in the hands of the Heavenly Father? So that's the question that comes up and We're going to make a couple statements here down by way of application. And he says, "Because of believers' life, of believers' lives are secure in, in Jesus Christ. While living here on earth, there is some ramifications. We could just say, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. goodbye.") <laughs> I'll see you. I'll see you at the resurrection, or I'll see you at the at the rapture, and I'll be caught up along with the rest of you. But I can live my life however I want. That's not what Paul is talking about. He says there are some ramifications, and here's the first one: If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And this phrase, seek the things that are above, is a command. In other words, no optional equipment. (laughs) This is something that believers, who if they rightly understand their position in Christ, This is one of the ramifications that we should seek those things which are above. And so by our first point of application is we must have the same desires as Christ. If you think about it, if we are in Christ, and he's going to talk about that too, if we are in Christ, and we have this new life in Christ, it makes sense to us that we would have the same kind of thinking and heart's desire that Christ had. And so he forced, Paul forcefully commands them to seek those things above. And part of that is a new perspective. I was sharing... In Sunday school, that my first airplane flight was not on a, some large jet flying across country. It was in the little two-seater plane flying out of Santa Monica Hospi- Hospital. <laughs> That's where we would end up. We crashed Santa Monica Airport, which was only a, a mile or two from our house. And our neighbor later lady had taken me up, and we were flying over the neighborhood so that we could look down on Penmar Park and Walgrove Avenue uh, School. And oh, there's Preston Way and there's our house. And her house was just two houses over. There's your house and everything. We were flying. And we were so low, we could see all that detail. It was a perspective I had never had. Everything that I'd ever seen was from ground level. I'd only walked it or ridden my bike or been in the car, and that was it. I knew the neighborhood well, but I had never seen it from that perspective. And what Apostle Paul says, now that you have a new life in Christ, we need to see life from a new perspective. We'll look at the same things, but we'll look at it in a different way. So how does the world look From ground level, from ground level, what the world sees is all those things that are temporal. The world looks at the importance of a job. Everyone would agree, job is important, okay? Everyone would look at whatever education that you might need, whether it is just general information that you tuck away and becomes handy, even so you can deal with questions on Jeopardy, or, or something that you need for, for daily living, our education. Some people are caught up with seeking after fame, some after wealth. And of course, there's all the essentials like food and clothing and housing. Those are the things that we see from ground level. And all of them are temporal. All of them are going away. If we're going to have a different perspective, we're going to have to have a heavenly perspective. And that's what Paul says. And if then you have been raised with Christ or since you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So the question then becomes, what is God's perspective on this whole world? Do we, does he care about our job? Does he care about our homes, our families? Yes, he does, but he has a greater perspective. And it's an eternal one. Have you thought about those things that are eternal? God himself, of course, is eternal. The angelic host is eternal. He says his word is eternal. And we are eternal. So what does God think about when it comes to us? If we're to have the thought that Christ has, what did the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit plan from eternity past before this world ever came into being? The answer is written in the word. The redemption of mankind. He knew there was going to be a fall. And from before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ in the heart and the mind of God was crucified for the purpose of redemption. So if we're going to, as scripture says here, seek the things that are above, we're gonna seek the same things that Christ is interested in. And the Father is interested in and the Holy Spirit is interested in. And what did they focus on? Redemption. They focused on redemption. To purchase sinful souls and to save them. Their chief focus in the Father wanted to be obeyed by the Son and we should obey the Father too, desiring the same thing the Father desires. We must have the same desire or seek Christ. Matthew chapter 6 and 33, in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And he's in the context of that scripture that Tom read for us. Well, what about our food? What about our clothing? What about how we... And he says, it's not unimportant, it's just secondary. It is, if you will, it is the backdrop for how we should live our life. Does God care about our job? Does God care about our food, our clothing, our, our uh, families? Does he care about all that stuff? Yes. But it's in the context of, do you know him? And are you walking with him? Those are the two things. And if we are to do what Paul says to the church at Colossae, He says if we have this new relationship with jesus christ we will also have a new perspective we will have a new way of looking at the world and we're to seek the same kind of things that the father seeks in john chapter four and five in verse 44 he says how can you how can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from only from God he says you can turn your focus to anything in this world but where it should be is on the glorifying god that's what we should be seeking after we to be in earnest for heavenly and eternal things, as we were formerly for those things that are earthly and perishing. Whatever we had, the focus of our attention that was temporal need to be replaced with an eternal viewpoint. He goes on from there, and he says in verse 2, Set your minds on those things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we have a second command. And just like the first one, we're to seek those things that are above. Now we are to what? Set our minds on things that are above. We're to be in tune with Christ. We must have our minds tuned or set on Christ. Now I like my radio in my car because I have presets. You just have to push a couple of buttons, it goes to the channel I want to. When I grew up, and of course, before all that fancy stuff, we had to manually turn tune radios. Ever? Yeah. And you're spinning the dial. And if you don't happen to know where the channel is of the thing that you want to listen to, you got to spin the dial and then you start hearing some sounds come over and you stop for a moment. And you listen to it. And what is it? Well, it's in Spanish. That can't be it. So we turn it some more, and then there's a rock and roll stage. No, no. Go over to country western. No, no. All I wanted was a weather report. Turn around, and fi- finally, we get it, but it's not quite tuned in right. And so we concentrate, and we turn the dial just a little bit so we can find that right channel. And now we've honed in on the thing that we want to listen to. Apostle Paul says we must have our minds tuned in or set on things above or things of Christ. Of all the other things, this should be our focus. This should be our focus. And the point is that Apostle Paul is making here, he says there's really not any more than these two options. You're either going to be on channel, on focus, or you're not. You're either going to be focused on things of heaven, or not. There were some stations when I was growing up, and the radios weren't quite as good as maybe they are today, that the station I wanted to listen to was right next to another one. And depending on how far I was from the station, it would sort of wander. And for a while I'd be on station, and then it would go off station and be something completely different. Then you tweaking it back. Apostle Paul says we need to set our mind. What is our focus? And you know, our focus can be close, but off. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus was with his disciples. He had gone through the Sermon on the Mount. He had come around the Sea of Galilee after preaching that. He had done some more teaching. Some were saying, oh, it's hard to, to... Listen to what you're saying because he was talking about you must eat my body and drink my blood. And they go, oh, it's not in the original Greek, but that's gross. And they said, no, well, you know, and it says that many turned away. And Jesus asks Peter and his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they give up their thing. And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of God. And the Lord says, well done. My heavenly father gave you that answer. And right after that, we read this. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. They were getting it. They understood. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, Peter just said, thou art the Christ, the son of God. And now he's rebuking Jesus for what he's saying about the mission of Christ. Listen to what Jesus says. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. You go, But I had the right motive. I was just looking out for you, Jesus. And he says, No, you don't have a heavenly mindset. You don't know what I'm about. You don't know why I'm here. Everything I just laid out for you has been the game plan from beginning the foundation, before the foundation of the world, and now it's being implemented. And you said, No, it can't be. And he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. You think that preservation of my life is my chief goal. It's not. Redemption is. And you're all off base. And the point that Paul is making here and why this leads out into the following chapters on practical living is says, if you don't have the right perspective, you will make the wrong choice. If you don't deliberately focus on things in heaven and set your affections there and set your heart there to see things from our perspective about how things should be done here on earth, you will get it wrong. You will get it wrong. Wouldn't it be terrible to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ and then be out of sync with him? Apostle Paul isn't done with this introduction. He says in verse 3 and 4, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, it's an interesting play on what was going on with the false teachers because they were always talking about hidden knowledge. You come to me, I'll let you have the inside scoop. I know none of you have ever been on Facebook and somebody says, I can tell you how to fill in the blank all you have to do is click on this video and watch it for the next hour and a half. And at the end, I will show you something. <laughs> what I got is some hidden information that you'll want. And you go, why don't you just tell us? Wouldn't it be nice if you say, click on this and it says, if you do this thing, you will... Whatever, lose weight, you will become wealthy, your hair will grow back, or whatever. And you can see I've clicked on all those things, it never works. But anyway, but wouldn't it be nice if you clicked on that and it goes, all you have to do is take two ice cubes, stick it in a glass of water, put a little bit of talcum powder, drink it and you'll be cured. And you go, what, no video? No. No next half hour or 45 minutes listening to some sales speech? Wouldn't it be nice? The false teachers were kept holding out, saying, We have some secret information that it will make your spiritual life better. And Apostle Paul has spent the last two chapters saying, No, everything that you need is found in Christ. And he has already given you new life. And he has has made a show of all false teaching and nailed any of the accusations against you on his cross. And you are free in him. Didn't you get it? And then he goes, but if you want to talk about hidden things, we can talk about hidden things. And he says, for you have died And your life is hidden with Christ and God. The word hidden is the word that we get from the Greek into our English word, crypt. In other words, securely put away someplace. And the cool thing, it is a perfect passive. And you go, oh, pastor, I'm so glad you shared that. What it means is it has happened and it has abiding results. And because it was passive, you didn't do it. Christ did it to you. In other words, he says, I took this life. You entered in by faith and I have stashed you in me. And that's where it remains. Your life remains in me. But he's not done. For he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's the point here? Let's say that you are walking in this world, and as you walk in this life, you are confronted with the gospel, and the Lord gives you grace and mercy, and you put your trust in him, and you are made a new creature in Christ. Unless you're baptized in water in front of others, will anybody see the difference between yesterday and today? Yesterday you were an unbeliever, today you're a believer. Will anybody see that? No. You don't turn purple or anything along that line. There's no dramatic physical changes that anybody can see, but you might start living differently. Like what Paul has said, your mind is set now on things above, but they don't get it. And so they may question you, friends and neighbors, family, they go, huh, I don't get it, why are you that way? And you can say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Wow, oh, I never could get into any of that rip, that spiritual stuff, that, that whole religious stuff. I, that's not for me. And why are you following somebody who lived 2,000 years ago? That's, <laughs> that's, that's crazy to me. But what do we know? That Christ is alive. And our life is hidden in him. And people may not get it, but one day they will. And that's the point. It says, when Christ, who is your life? Isn't it a wonderful statement to be said about you? If if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your life is Christ. Who is your life? When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's coming a time, Apostle Paul talks about this. There's coming a time when those truths which seem to be hidden from others will be revealed. The idea of of revelation then is exactly what you think. What's under that cover? Well, we might guess, but we don't know for sure. We pull the cover back. Oh, there it is. We see it. It says, other than other Christians, people might not understand what you're up to, why you do what you do. And for you to explain it may not make any sense to them. But it's still true. But one day, they're going to see Christ for who he really is. Listen to this As John describes, not the Jesus who walked on the shores of Galilee, but the resurrected Lord. And I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me, Revelation chapter 1. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstand was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white as wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roaring of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining and in full strength. Not easily ignored. So let's come to a practical application out of the life of David. And we'll close with this and go to the Lord's table. You remember the story. David had been anointed king, but Saul was still king. Saul was upset with David, chased him all around the countryside. And one day, David and his men are hidden deep in the cave, trying to avoid Saul and his soldiers as they came looking for David. Scripture tells us that while they were in the cave, Saul came to the cave to relieve himself. And while he was there, Listen to what the men said. The men of David said to him, Here is the day in which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as what seems good to you. In other words, Saul is here in the cave. He's been chasing you all around the countryside, and the Lord has delivered them into your hand one fell swoop and he is no longer a problem for you. And they said, and it's God who did it. David rose and stealthily cut a corner off Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing as he is the Lord's anointed. From an earthly perspective, it looked like Saul had been delivered in his hands. From a heavenly perspective, he says, no, there is an overriding truth, and that is he is still the Lord's anointed, and I shouldn't be messing with him. And he says, my heart was upset with even what I did in cutting off the corner of his rope. The passage goes on, and of course Saul leaves, and David cries out to him after a safe distance, and he says, I could have taken you, but you are the Lord's. What have I done? What have I done for you to be chasing me? And in that, we see a perspective, an eternal perspective that says, God is the one that's in control. I should be seeking the things that are above, not the things here on earth. He said, Well, David, aren't you anointed to be the next king? You could have just hastened the whole process here. And he goes, No in God's time in God's way I will be king cuz he said so but it's not my job to do something apart from what he wants and we are left with the same situation the question is what does the lord want of me if he promises as he did in Matthew to take care of my food and clothing and my housing and all those kind of things, I must rely on him for that. What am I supposed to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Also, Paul now shares that with the church at Colossae, because the next things that he goes into are some practical things of saying, this is what the Lord is interested in and how we should respond. We'll be looking at that, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. But we're going to turn our attention to the Lord's Supper now. And with the Lord's Supper, we realize that we've been invited to his table for fellowship and communion. We call it a communion table. Now, If we're listening to what Paul says, we can make application here. Do we have the mind of Christ? When we said, I'm going to partake of his body and of his blood, and I'm going to be in Christ, do I also have the mind of Christ? Romans 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set their minds on the flesh is death. To set their minds on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And he's talking to believers. And so the decision is ours. Do we walk in the Spirit, seeking those things that are above, or do we walk in the flesh? And we can never, never, never please God. The choice is ours. Our position is secure. Our walk is a daily choice of ours. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these opening words of Paul in practical application, how we should live our lives until the time we're taken into your presence. Even so, come quickly, but in the meantime, we thank you that you have not left us without direction on how we should live. And we give thanks in Jesus' name.